All right, so we'll get ready for uh, part two. Um, as, you, as you guys have figured out, I can't talk for an hour. so I'm just physically unable, but it's still me. It's still Mike Matucci. Um, I uh, still work for the federal government. Um, we're going to talk about newer drugs of abuse um, here. And uh, I actually stole this from the last issue of uh, Journal Medical Toxicology, which was really cool. So he um, uh, changed it new from newer drugs to so new, so non-traditional agents that are emerging uh, and are web-based. And this really perfectly describes what these agents are. And we'll kind of go through that. So once again, no disclaimers. I work for the government, and they said uh, this is all on me, not on them. Um, so our objective, so we'll talk a little bit about uh, designer drugs, kind of the history of it. Um, go through some epidemiology, and then we'll discuss uh, several newer um, agents of interest uh, that have been popping up over the last several years. Talk about pathophysiologies of them, the effects, uh, and then how to manage them and when they show up in poisoning. We'll talk about legal issues, because um, that's a big reason of why these things exist. And uh, I'll throw in a couple little pointers on uh, what I think about drug screens. So um, this is the patient I see in my ER every weekend. This is a 19-year-old. Uh, Marine, Lance Corporal, uh, so they've just made it through boot camp. They're usually at their first duty station. Uh, and uh, a couple weekends ago, I had four of these within 15 minutes show up um, because they had just finished boot camp and they were, had a weekend off before they went to their first duty station. So after 16 weeks of being locked up in prison, this was their, their chance to get away. Uh, but he presents uh, um, hyperthermic. Uh, slightly, but definitely hypertensive, tachycardic, increased respiratory rate, agitated, confused, combative. This is like the sympathomimetic one. So he's throwing punches. Uh, actually, uh, this particular gentleman uh, I was court-martialed because he hit one of my nurses. Um, and, uh, but these people are the ones that, that you do feel a danger for yourself. So thinking about this as we go through here, so you know, what do you do? What's your differential? How would you manage uh, this type of patient in your ED? So what are designer drugs? So they're really not that new. You could argue that we've been making designer drugs since uh, we first like, started cultivating crops um, to kind of move things into what we need to do. Uh, the term actually comes from the, um, from the 1970s when uh, um, fentanyl first showed up on the street. Um, so you know, heroin was big, uh, and black tar heroin, which would primarily come uh, um, from Southeast Asia through Mexico and then up into the United States. Uh, and then this new thing showed up called China White perfectly white crystalline powder. It looked so pure uh, and uh, it gave a great high, much more intense than, than heroin. Faster on, faster off, but it was a huge high. Uh, and uh, so this was described as a designer drug. Because once again, this is now a synthetic uh, opioid. Um, in 2006, this was, there was a recurrence. You guys probably heard about this in New York uh, and in uh, Chicago. They had 70 people die of heroin over what they thought were heroin overdoses, but there was actually fentanyl. Um, they had made a resurgence, mixed it up with stuff, and people didn't know what they were buying and taking, so they didn't know how to dose it. Um, so another big rash of people dying. There's stories of bad things happening with designer drugs. Uh, um, so in the late 1970s, early 1980s, there was a rash of Parkinsonian disease in young addicts, young heroin addicts that showed up in the San Jose area in Northern California. And uh, through a lot of detective work, they ended up figuring out that it was uh, this uh, agent called MPTP, which was a uh, uh, unintended byproduct when we were synthesizing uh, uh, mepiridine um, that these people would then use to get high. 
Uh, and it's a cool story. This guy, uh, J. William Langston, if you can go read this book, it's actually pretty cool. He was a uh, um, neurologist in uh, San Jose, and he got consulted on these patients that were showing up. Uh, and so they went back, they investigated, they found the places, the, the homes of the people. Um, they went through and they found the agent and actually were able to chemically uh, determine what it was. And then uh, somehow they were able to track it to a chemistry textbook in the Stanford University Medical School Library. And the actual page that referred to how you make mepiridine was torn out of the book. Uh, <laughs> they never did find the actual person who made it, who was the, was the closet chemist that made it. Uh, but it was a cool story. And then uh, another cool story, so I worked with uh, him and MPTP in, uh, the, I hate to say it, but in the late 80s, uh, actually developing an animal model of Parkinsonian disease. So you can use this stuff, put it in monkeys, and they get Parkinson's, and then you can work on uh, treatment. But interesting enough, we used to store that in our food fridge. Um, and it was like a couple drops would cause Parkinsonian disease. So uh, it's 25, 30 years later, I have not yet developed Parkinson's from this. So I think I'm, so far I'm pretty good. But the goal of all this was to make something that's structurally similar to an agent that's already there. Uh, so you get the same effects or better effects, yet you're able to kind of skirt the laws. Um, and so that's really kind of the goals of designer drugs. So today, most popular designer drugs uh, are derivatives of these kind of four big four things. So amphetamines and canthenones, which we'll talk about, and we talked about in the last one, give you primarily the sympathomimetic effects um, that you'll see. And then cannabinoids and ketamine um, show primarily the hallucinogenic effects. But there is a lot of crossover between what you see um, from the symptoms. Uh, I'll skip this because we went over this in the last uh, lecture on the sympathomimetic toxidrome. And then same thing on the hallucinogenic toxidrome. So kind of just these two that we're going to zero in on from what we had on the last lecture. So cool word, uh, word of the day, intactogen. I love this word. But if you read anything about kind of the club drugs um, that people are using, the newer drugs, this is the word that they, that they uh, um, talk about. So it, what does it mean? It means to touch within. It's a feeling of goodwill, warmth. I'm at one with my buddies. These are like people at raves. They dance for hours with each other, someone they've never known before. They feel you know, just a good feeling. That's what, so that's what really what they're going for. So a little bit on epidemiology. Um, so there's what? Seven and a half, almost eight billion people in the world, uh, and uh, about uh, um, between the ages of 15 and 64, there's about four and a third billion, and then about 200 million of them abuse uh, drugs at least once in the last year, um, and then problem drug users are much smaller than that, somewhere around 25 to 30 million people, and then injection drug users are even less. Um, and uh, most people don't progress from the um, recreational oral medications or oral drugs to the uh, um, intravenous stuff, but some people do. Um, if you look at epidemiology, it's also kind of interesting to see where people, what people abuse all over the world. So uh, the 600 people who are in Greenland like opioids, um, uh, as is most Europe, Asia, uh, um, into some of Malaysia. And then uh, Australia tends to like uh, mar uh, marijuana, cannabis. Africa really likes cannabis. South America, cocaine, it's there, it's easy to get. Um, North America uh, is uh, cocaine, but it's moving more so into uh, um, the amphetamine type um, agents that are becoming much, much more popular. Uh, and then if you look at North America in particular, so how have things changed uh, in from the late 1990s to the late uh, 2000s? So, uh, the cocaine type uh, is uh, increasing, or is actually decreasing, I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, amphetamines are really going 
um, improving uh, in, the, in the amount of use. And the other things are staying about the same. Uh, but so there's a shift from, and we've seen this in California, a shift from cocaine type medication or agents to uh, amphetamine, <coughs> methamphetamine type agents over this time period. So, like I said, the, um, the introduction of new drugs is really not new. It's something that we've probably been doing forever. It's the methods um, that are used to advertise it uh, and to sell it that's, that's much different than it used to be in the past. The drug trade primarily was person to person. Really, there hasn't been a lot of advertising. Um, you know, it's like you know, come to my corner and I'll sell you the heroin. Um, and uh, but with internets, um, it, it's fairly anonymous. It goes out to everybody um, worldwide. Has pretty good internet access, and things are marketed as uh, as in order to avoid the, um, the legal stuff as herbal highs. So there's no controlled substance in here. It's just an herbal high, and that's what spice was initially. Um, sold as, and now, now they're calling it more research chemicals, not for human uh, consumption, plant food, uh, and so those are things that are really they're, they're marketing as. And once again, the only purpose for doing this is to avoid the uh, the legal ramifications of it. Uh, and now these are all catchwords. So if you Google uh, herbal high, you'll get like 12 websites that are going to get you um, to uh, illicit drugs. So the other thing that's interesting is that throughout most of mankind's history, Southeast Asia was a source for most drugs, which then moved basically worldwide through the various trade routes. Europe is a hotbed for designer drugs. Um, I don't know if they just have a lot of good chemists who are out of work, um, but it really Germany and, and Britain um, are the two biggest areas for designing of new, of new agents. And then it takes about one to three years before it catches on in the United States. Um, and uh, that delay is getting shorter um, as, as American consumers become more aware. Um, but uh, but it's, there's really this kind of delay. So if you want to look and see what's happening and what's going to happen in the next future, find out what happens in Europe. Um, and, uh, and they have it. And there's this one group, uh, EMCDDA, the uh, European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction. And it's actually it's a, um, it's a EU slash Interpol um, um, group. And they basically surf the net all the time and looking for new trends and such and then try to get the samples and analyze them. But what they found in 2010 is that they had 41 new psychoactive substances that they detected uh, in a one calendar year. One of them was a PCP, ketamine a derivative that we'll talk about, um, which I haven't seen yet in the United States, but will be here shortly. There have been 11 new synthetic cannabinoids, 15 new synthetic canthenones, and uh, the rest were various types of amphetamines, methamphetamines. So with that kind of background, we'll go through some specific agents and, uh, and talk, about, uh, talk about them, what we see and do. So what we'll talk about here are, um, so salvia uh, divinorum, which is a little bit different because it's not typically, not really a designer drug, but it's a new use uh, of it that we'll see. Spice, uh, the amphetamines, which I like to call alphabetamines, because um, there's so many different types of them. Uh, MXE, which is a ketamine analog, and then bath salts. Uh, so salvia divinorum is a very pretty plant. Uh, it's actually in the mint family. Uh, grows in uh, uh, northern Mexico um, primarily. Uh, its common name is uh, diviner's sage. Uh, it's been used by, uh, um, by indigenous peoples um, for um, religious ceremonies because they get the hallucinations and they use that as part of, as part of their ceremonies. Uh, they tend to
to uh, um, the Indians tend to ingest the leaves or they chew on them like coca leaves and put them, kind of put them between your, your cheeks so you'd absorb it that way. Um, people who abuse it um, primarily smoke um, the, uh, the dried leaves. And that's usually what you buy on the, on the internet of the dried leaves. So very quick onset um, smoking. So if you look at you know, the rates of, uh, of uh, onset for different agents, so insufflation is usually about the fastest. So you know, I'm snorting it, followed by um, smoking, because you get the big vascular bed in the lungs that absorb it, uh, fi finally followed by uh, ingestion. Um, and then IV is actually about the same as the, uh, as the smoking uh, um, time frame. So this is quick on, within five or 10 minutes of using it, quick off. Um, in fact, there's a lot of reports of kids using this on their lunch hours. Um, so you know, let's go have a, go smoke some uh, salvia during lunch. Uh, this one, it's a, uh, um, diterpene is, a, is the chemical. It's kind of a soapy type substance. Uh, this has a unique mechanism of action uh, as opposed to everything else to talk about in that it works against the kappa opioid receptor, um, which is actually kind of cool. Um, so if you, if you look and uh, go through here, so the way things usually work, so here's the kappa receptor, it's right here. Normally, uh, there's one nerve releases GABA which then, like I said before, has an inhibitory um, process. So you're not releasing as much dopamine, you're not getting as, as much of that in the synaptic cleft. But if you block this, uh, or if you're using, I'm sorry, using the agonist, it negatively um, impacts the GABA, so you're not releasing it, and so now you have more of the dopamine into the, um, into the space. Uh, you know, heroin, morphine kind of do this, uh, and this gives some of the psychologic um, uh, of euphoric effects that you'll see um, with these agents. Um, Detection, so this stuff isn't detected on any routine drug screens that you're going to have. Uh, and it's still legal, actually, in most states. The DEA hasn't come out. The federal government hasn't come out to regulate it uh, as such. Uh, some states uh, um, have. I don't believe California is one of the states that's regulated this yet. Uh, I know Missouri has. Texas has, and I can't remember the others. Um, so the desired effects are hallucinogenic. You want these intense, short-lived uh, hallucinations. Adverse effects, so, and most people get these, and you'll never see them in the ER. Um, the ones that you see in the ER come in agitated uh, and psychotic. Uh, and it's interesting, we've had several of these in our psychiatric department that actually is um, submitting a case series uh, for publication on people who, these are, were young guys, otherwise healthy, who present in an acute psychosis um, and then uh, have evidence of doing salvia. And... Uh, the psychosis can last long, like 72 hours a week, 10 days. Um, and uh, they actually have a couple of patients that uh, are persistently psychotic. Um, so that argues, was it this agent? Or was it because they were 19 that they now had their schizophrenic break, which is probably, I'm thinking, the, the probable cause for the ones that had the really prolonged cases. Um, but probably, so if you have somebody with an underlying psychotic disorder, this is probably not the best medication for them. Um, so the management, so like uh, the hallucinogens that we talked earlier, um, benzodiazepines to calm the sedation, uh, to relax them. You can put them down and kind of relax uh, the, uh, um, put them in a dark room, let them rest. Um, and then theoretically naloxone would be effective for this agent. Um, but there's no, uh, um, there's no studies that have uh, looked at this yet. But if you get someone who's severely agitated and you've got a lot of benzos on board, and you're there to the point where you're thinking, oh, I may have to intubate this patient, it might be something to try. And if so, uh, Dr. Shishard will write the uh, case report with you.
any questions about uh, about salvia? So it's very common in the high school, um, and uh, it's what they, call, they call it salvia. Salvia, yeah, salvia is, is usually the the one they call it. Actually, I just got a call from uh, um, a, uh, um, a medical officer in Afghanistan, and they had a guy who had um, a little bottle, and it was uh, um, salvian was what it was, and it was actually a liquid form that they had made of it, and somehow he got it out there, and it's like, well, what is this stuff? I don't know what it is, and so what's he acting like? Well, he's acting like that. So it turns out that's what it probably was. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they'll use this stuff anyways, but salvia is, is the, the general, what they call it. All right, so spice is the next one. Um, and so I think spice has probably peaked and is going to start kind of going down here in the near, in the near future. Um, and... Uh, so it's been sold since 2006, um, and it's, I think it's about what its max is here. It's not inexpensive. Um, it's actually pretty comparable to what it would cost you to actually buy an equivalent amount of marijuana. Um, there are you know, lots and lots of knockoffs, um, lots, and we'll talk about some structure stuff here in a second. Lots of names for it, K2, Genie, Yucatan Fire, Mr. Smiley. Um, it's usually smoked, although it, it, is, actually, it is active if you ingest it. Um, but uh, uh, onset is relatively quick and can last four to six hours. Um, so it works. So there's, uh, interesting enough, there's two cannabinoid receptors that have been found in our body. One's in the brain, uh, and uh, it's associated with the psychoactive effects of cannabis. Uh, and then another one is actually associated with the immune system and has some modulating effect uh, to it. Um, so this stuff actually started in like the um, 70s, um, into early 80s as research medications. So the pharmaceutical companies were looking for um, agents that were going to be great antiemetics. Um, They're also looking for um, some agents that would have uh, um, some more uh, sedating effects for use for uh, psychiatric medications. So like uh, this one here uh, was, uh, uh, was an analgesic that was uh, designed by Pfizer in the 1980s. Uh, it had too much sedating effect and so it was not all that effective for them. Uh, JWH is a Jewish, no, is a, a G, is JW Hoffman, who's a chemist, um, who uh, made about 100 of these um, for research studies and published all this stuff. I mean, all this stuff is published in medical journals, and our, our amateur chemists are very good at finding this stuff. Uh, and then HU is Hebrew University. Um, and uh, so they are we're all working on these, trying to develop medications that would be effective. There's a bunch of different structures, and they all look a little bit different, which makes it hard to detect. Um, when, we, when we're looking for stuff, we're usually looking at structures when, we're, when our uh, devices are finding what agents people are exposed to. Um, so there are, uh, I think I'll talk about it later, but the military just had one uh, develop this screen that picks up HU-210, JWH-18, and uh, JWH-73. Um, so there are commercial uh, detection devices uh, coming out in the near future. Um, so, but on standard um, assays, they're not, it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't show up in the uh, cannabinoid uh, uh, marijuana positive uh, for your stuff. Uh, and then legal, uh, DEA actually made this an emergency schedule one drug in uh, March of 2011. And it should be renewed uh, about now, but I haven't heard anything specifically on that. So effects, so what do they want? They want intoxication. Uh, they want to feel good. It's kind of like the, the same marijuana effects. You uh, um, get some mild hallucinatory effects. You just kind of feel good. You're hungry. Uh, but agitation and paranoid delusions seem to be much more common with these. 
And the first several I saw, I could not believe that these were cannabinoids. Uh, I kept thinking that, you know, the, the patient got into something else. The patient got into something else. Um, and then, uh, actually, as expert uh, witness at several court martials, and the evidence is there. The people get, um, some people who have marijuana, smoke marijuana will get some of these paranoid-type thoughts, and this is just much more accentuated and seems to be much more common when they actually present for care. And then there's some thoughts that JWH18, which has more of the effects on the CB2 receptor, may actually be pro-carcinogenic, and there's some rat studies that show that, but there's nothing in human literature yet. So once again, management is primarily supportive. Uh, benzos, once again, for uh, agitation. Really not a whole lot else, else to do. Um, but like I said, we're being able, starting to be able to detect these, and so I think you'll see the use of them kind of the tailing off a little bit. Any questions about cannabinoids? I just wanted to comment. You first showed a picture of this pack package that said spice on it. That was this material that was mm -hmm. organic. Has nothing to do with these chemicals. These right. are synthetic chemicals that are sprinkled on top of whatever kind of organic substance they want to to use. Yep. So it's not directly plant. -wide. Right. Yeah. There's some sort of herbs, and some of the herbs in some of the packages may have some mild hallucinatory effects. But really, they make the chemical and they spray it on, and then they put it in packages. Um, one of the um, cases I was in was actually a, a guy who was making them in his back room and then selling them to his buddies, um, which worked great until one of his buddies jumped out of a third-story window because he was paranoid. Um, but, um, but that's really the thing, yeah. And it, it, like I said, it changes um, week to week what is the most common and what's the, um, what's the new one on the block. And all the effects are about the same. It's really just uh, trying to stay ahead of what the DEA is, is making illegal. All right, so the next thing is uh, alphabetamines. So um, these are, uh, um, this is a phenylethylamine structure. Uh, this is 2CB, which is one of the more common um, um, alphabetamines that are out there. These are uh, all amphetamines, methamphetamines, uh, ecstasy, various analogs of these. Usually what they do is they just change one little group. You know, this bromine may go to a chlorine um, and uh, they just change it enough where it's now not illegal anymore, and, uh, but has the same effects or um, similar effects. More than 200 agents out there on the street right now, um, and there's new ones all the time. Uh, if you guys ever get a chance to take a look at a website called arrowid.org, uh, it's cool. I mean, they, do, uh, they have user um, surveys kind of go through. They can say which one works better, which one doesn't, which one you should buy, which one you should stay away from. Um, so these are usually in tablet form. Um, usually ingested, onsets in about an hour, and the symptoms last usually four to six hours, generally. Uh, mechanism of action for these, so uh, these are sympathomimetic effects. So what they do is they increase the release of the sympathomimetic amines, um, primarily uh, noradrenaline and, uh, uh, or epinephrine and, or sorry, norepi and uh, um, dopamine. They uh, decrease the breakdown by blocking the uh, uh, monoamino oxidase um, enzyme. And uh, they decrease the reuptake into synaptic cleft. So basically, you have more neurotransmitters, activate, catecholamine neurotransmitters sitting out in the cleft longer, giving you the effects. The hallucinogenic properties have a similar mechanism, but these work primarily on serotonin, um, so on the 5-HT2 uh, receptors. And once again, you increase serotonin available to do its action on the postsynaptic uh, um, cell. So detection, so some of these are sometimes detected on routine drug screens. Most of them aren't. 
Um, and so it's really not, not very helpful. If they are detected, they show up as the amphetamine on, the, on that screen. The effects they're looking for, so they're looking for that intactogenic effect. So this is the ravers. Uh, they want to feel good, one, at, one with the world, one with their buddies. They, get, they want some sympathomimetic effects. They want to be able to stay up all night and dance. And they're looking for the hallucinogenic effects. So now the music and the lights and the sounds and everything just makes everything the, kind of the perfect picture. What happens with adverse effects is they get this typical sympathomimetic toxidrome with the bad agitation, hyperthermia. Seizures can be directly associated with the catecholamine release. Uh, it can also be secondary to hyponatremia. Um, some of these agents, like ecstasy, um, have uh, SIADH-like properties. And you have that in conjunction with ingestion of free water and loss of the salts from sweating with the activity can lead to hyponatremic uh, um, seizures. And then cardiac arrests have been uh, associated with these also. So what's the management when you get this person into your ED? So you, these are ones that you want to check the electrolytes on, make sure they're not hyponatremic. Like all the sympathomimetic stuff, benzos is a good answer. They need me cooling. They may need neuromuscular blockade to assist in that cooling. Uh, and then, you know, there may be a role for GI decontamination in these. They're tablet form. Um, they're usually relatively rapidly absorbed, but if you get someone who's in relatively soon, it may be a useful uh, agent to try, try on these guys. Any thoughts or questions about uh, the alphabetamines? All right. So this one's fun. I like this one. Uh, so NXE, once again, so this is a research chemical pellet not for human consumption. And it's got a little harmful thing on there. Uh, but it's not for sale to anyone under the age of 18. And then in case you were not quite sure, it also says that it's a plant food. So, um, but all that being said, it's something that you might want to take. So this is a methoxetamine, uh, which is a ketamine analog. And uh, it's a powder. It's usually insufflated, so very quick onset. Uh, duration is a few hours. Um, I don't know of any reports in the United States um, yet on this of toxicity, but I'm sure they'll be here very shortly. Um, it's been in Britain for about a year, two years. Like I said, the 2010, they noticed that this had showed up. So it also, like, uh, like the amphetamines, is a uh, catecholamine neurotransmitter reuptake inhibitor. It's also an NMDA receptor blocker. And it works, sits, uh, I think I have it in here. It sits right in this little cleft here, which blocks the flow. Um, and so you end up with, go back. Uh, it inhibits the, the glutamate uh, activation and impulse transmission, and that results in the, uh, the symptoms that you're going to see. Don't know for sure yet, but it's probably not going to be detected on urine drug screens. Uh, if it was, it would show up as a PCP screen. The desired effects, once again, antactogenic effect, warm feeling at one with the world and self, and then generalized euphoria. Uh, there's some hallucinatory effects with this, but that seems to be more secondary than what you'll see with the alphabetamines. Adverse effects are the stuff you guys see when you use uh, ketamine for your um, sedations, for your moderate sedations. Uh, so they go out, they can get hypersalivatory, they can vomit, uh, they can get very disturbing hallucinations and emergence phenomenon, um, and, uh, and all that stuff. Basically, it's the same as what you see with your uh, sedations. Interesting enough, you can get similar effects in people who abuse the PCP, the fencyclidine, but also with dexamethorphan. So this is another favorite of uh, active duty members because it's not screened for, uh, and you can buy it over the counter. Um, but uh, I've seen several poisonings of that, primarily overseas, because it's harder to get some of this other stuff. Management, once again, primarily supportive. 
benzos, benzos, benzos are your friends again. When you get the patient with the emergence phenomenon and you want to calm them down, you give them benzos. Uh, same thing here. That's pretty much it for there. Uh, like I said, I think next summer we'll, we'll start seeing a few of those. Uh, so the big one right now is uh, bath salts. And uh, very common. And I probably see a couple of these each weekend um, with the uh, military population. Marketed a bunch of stuff. Uh, Ivory Way, Bolivian's Bath, this Vanilla Sky. Uh, marketed as bath salts. Also plant foods is another uh, one that they like using for this one. And these are derivatives of canthenone, which we'll talk about in a sec. They're usually insufflated, snorted, um, or ingested with a relatively quick uh, onset and uh, duration of time. Interesting enough, this one is actually uh, reported as a huge craving effect associated with it. So after you've done it and you start going down again, you really, really, really want to do it again. Uh, cocaine had that same type of effect. And I think it's maybe mostly associated with its quick onset, high, quick high, and then it, it falls off relatively quickly. Um, so what it is, so this agent is actually, it's the principal psychoactive agent in cot. So cot is a herb that uh, is abused around the world, most commonly in uh, kind of the Horn of Africa. Um, and uh, it's a sympathomimetic agent. And uh, interesting with cot is you have to ingest it while the leaf is fresh um, because it, it dies off very quickly. Um, so I've had friends who've been in Somalia and said you could tell exactly when the plane would arrive with the cot. Because um, everybody would be nice and calm in the morning, afternoon, and then about 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the, the plane would come in with the level of cot, and then about by 4 o'clock, everybody was high and sympathomimetic and ready to be out on a shooting spree. Um, and it was like clockwork every day. Uh, and uh, you could tell when the plane didn't make it in a day because nothing happened. Um, everybody was quiet. Um, so it's, uh, there's a lot of different derivatives. It's uh, the ones that are most common in the United States that we've seen is mephedrone and this MDPV. Once again, not detected on routine screens because the structure is different enough um, from the amphetamine. And then legal, this one was also made uh, uh, an emergency schedule one by the DEA uh, in uh, September of 2011. And so in a couple slides, I'll talk about what that means. The desired effects, once again, this intactogenic effect. Euphoria and the sympathomimetic effects would seem to be more common here. The adverse effects are the same stuff you'd expect to see with the uh, sympathomimetic agents. And guess what? The treatment's the same too. <coughs> um, and a uh, little Charlie Sheen bath powder. All right. So any questions on bath salts? Said, the stuff I'm seeing in Navy right now are bath salts, bath salts, bath salts, and then a sprinkling of, of uh, spice. So um, a lot of times when people come in agitated, we'll give the 5150 cocktail, mm -hmm. the Haldol, and, and defend those. Are there any intoxications that we need to be careful about giving Haldol to? Um, so interesting. So probably not. It seems very well tolerated, pretty safe. I mean, theoretically, the risk of a QT prolongation, and if you're on an agent that causes QT prolongation, none of these particularly do. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, that's the, that's the risk. Does um, also the seizure it does lower the seizure threshold. But there's not, it hasn't been enough studies. Yeah, there hasn't been enough studies in this stuff um, to, to show it. I mean, people have used it in, you know, we use it a lot of time in methamphetamine use. And it's likely going to be similar. And people don't seize um, when we're doing that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one thing. When I went to L.A. County, I was surprised. Because I mean, we use, you know, B-52s. So they get five of Haldol and two of Ativan. 
And uh, I go to L.A. County, and people are getting 50 and 70 milligrams of Haldol. And it was like, really? How come all these people aren't in Torsades? I mean, because they're all alcoholics. They all have no magnesium. Uh, and uh, it was like, Why? how come these people aren't in Torsades? They don't do it. I don't know. Um, so I, they should publish their study, because they use it all the time, and no one, no one gets sick. <laughs> well, they're on monitors. Whether, some, whether somebody looks at the monitors is different. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's probably pretty safe. Um, I see. My particular thing is, is I like benzos. Um, Haldol, I, I like droperidol really too for the particular patients. Um, but I like to have a monitor to look at and make sure the QT is not prolonged before I give it. Um, but that's, that's my personal preference. <laughs> Alrighty. So uh, next thing is, is legal um, issues. So this is kind of a big deal with these. I mean, it's the whole reason for this market. Otherwise, everybody would still be using uh, the amphetamines, would still be using methamphetamines, would still be using uh, marijuana. And it's really the legal stuff is the reason these things have been developed. Um, and so if you think about in the United States, two different legal systems, you have the federal system and the, and the state system. So, you know, federal, it's really slow. I mean, when was the last time Congress produced a bill? of any consequence, right? So Congress is really slow about doing stuff. Uh, whereas state legislatures tend to be a little bit faster uh, moving stuff through. Um, and then federal law always supersedes state law. So if the feds at one point decide they want something different, it supersedes state law until it makes it to the Supreme Court and they reverse it. Um, and state laws uh, can be stricter than federal laws, but can't be more lenient than federal laws. Um, so you will see that occasionally stuff here. And then for federal, uh, the DEA is the authority, and each state has something a little bit different um, to, uh, to, uh, as the authority for this stuff. Um, so as a reminder, so DEA schedules drugs. So it has a list of things what you can do. So Schedule 1 are highly abusive agents, no medicinal use in the uh, U.S. Uh, so um, things like methamphetamine is in that, in that group. All right. There's a lot of amphetamines and amphetamine derivatives that are useful, but that specific is, is that. Uh, two is high abuse potential, but accepted medicinal uses, and actually cannabis ends up in this level. Uh, three is potential for less abuse, uh, I think things like Percocet. Four, even less abuse, Vicodin. Um, and then five is very, very low uh, potential for abuse, so Robitussin with codeine um, is, in that, is in that one. Um, so the problem with... Uh, um, with Congress, like I said, it's really slow, like a glacier pace to get something. Our laws are written so that the thing that's illegal is a structure, um, and it's a structure with a purpose. Um, and each time you want to add a nuance, Congress has to approve that, say, yes, that is against the law. We can't use that. Um, but in uh, 1984, they made this Federal Analog Act as a way to give um, the DEA some emergency procedures so that they can make something emergency uh, scheduled agent to give time for Congress to actually get around to do stuff. So it's interesting. So this act basically said that a, a controlled substance means that the structure is similar to something that's already on a Schedule One or Two. It has an effect that's similar, so it has an hallucinatory effect or a sympathomimetic effect um, to that agent that's already there, and uh, the person intends to have that effect when they take take that thing. So you got to have all three actually for it to be true. So it could look like amphetamine, but not have the effect. The person could still take it with the effect, thinking that that's the effect, uh, and it wouldn't be illegal. Um, so they, uh, um, it's basically the changes with that. Um, DEA gets the, gets the ability to do it for one year, and then it's got to be approved by Congress. 
So that's why I'm interested to see what happens um, with the, uh, um, the spice that was made in March of 2011. Uh, has that resumed? Is it now legal again? Or um, were, were they able to do it a second time? So, uh, so that's really the, 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 the legalities of it. The other thing that's interesting is in San Diego, because one of the problems, because they can't make these things illegal fast enough, is uh, um, the city of San Diego is actually pursuing uh, um, nuisance remedies for places that sell these. So although the agent is not illegal, the agent you're selling is causing a public nuisance. So the city can close down the business based upon that. Uh, so to kind of slow down the, uh, um, all the uses of that. Um, it's still kind of they're talking about it at the city council level. So just a quick thing on drug screens. Uh, so uh, standard drug screens, what do they look for? They look for opiates, not the synthetic stuff. They look for structures, right? Uh, PCP, ketamine comes positive on that because it looks like PCP. Amphetamines, methamphetamines often positive. Cocaine, it actually looks for a metabolite um, called benzylecamine. Barbiturates, cannabinoids, benzos. Um, and then some look for ethanol, some look for acetaminophen, some look for tricyclic antidepressants. The note is that there's huge numbers of false positives and false negatives for almost all these. Um, cocaine is actually very, very specific. Um, the agents, uh, various agents that are tested, the two things that are kind of regulate that you'll see everywhere, Department of Transportation and Department of Defense. Right? So the Department of Transportation actually developed this uh, because the interstate truckers were all taking uh, speed in order to make it across country without uh, having to take a nap. Uh, causing accidents, so that's where this came from. And then active duty guys, you don't want having a gun and being high. Um, so some just some overall concepts to think about when you guys order the drug test. Uh, so a positive test means that the patient was exposed to an agent that tests positive within a recent amount of time. Uh, but that exposure could be by that agent or there could be a, a false positive. So something else is making it positive. Uh, like dextromethorphan will pop positive for PCP. And we've been called to consult on 87-year-old guys with colds um, for that reason. <laughs> um, a negative test means that there's no agent. They didn't use that agent. Uh, they didn't use that agent recently. Most drug screens stay positive for about 72 hours unless it's a fat-soluble substance and they're used chronically that may be lasting longer. Or it's a false negative. And then kind of the, the best thing to think about, and this is when you can talk to your psychiatrist when you're trying to place the patient at county mental health and the, the screen is positive for cannabis and they say, well, we can't admit that patient because they're intoxicated, is that exposure does not equal toxic, intoxication. And intoxication does not necessarily equal poisoning. Um, and it's just, you have to let them know. The patient is awake and alert. You can talk to them. Yeah, but their blood alcohol is 0.8. Well, it's because they seize when they get to 0.6. Um, You've got to come talk to them now. Um, so it's part of our education of our, our consultants. So that's pretty much uh, kind of the most of it there. Um, so the objective review, so we talked about designer drugs, kind of the history, where it comes from, uh, epidemiology of these uh, various agents of interest, a little bit on legal, legal issues and a little bit on uh, drug screens. Um, let's see here. So the case that I presented with, stuff. so I gave that guy about four milligrams of lorazepam. He, uh, his labs are unremarkable, um, and including a negative drug screen, which uh, they wanted us to do. He was uh, back to his baseline at about four hours, admitted to using bath salts uh, at that point, and uh, was discharged to his command. Like I said, then he underwent uh, court-martial and was uh, kicked out of the uh, court. Um, I don't know what he's doing now. He's probably selling spice at a head shop in Hillcrest. Um, <laughs> but uh, so any questions, comments about, the, about this stuff? Yeah. Google is your friend. I don't know where it came from.
<laughs> uh, all right, so here's your questions. All right, reference and source. Um, and then uh, questions, here you go. All right. So number one is uh, which newer drug of abuse works by agonism at the kappa receptor? And is it A, synthetic cannabinoids, B, methadrone, C, methoxamine, actually it should be methoxetamine, uh, D, uh, salvia divinorum. Number two is, which of the following is not an example of manufacturers attempting to avoid DEA scheduling laws? Is it A, labeling as not for human consumption? B, duplicating the structures of currently scheduled drugs? C, labeling as plant food? D, adding a methyl group substitution to currently scheduled drugs? <laughs> 